0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collins. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world, where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin.
2: Welcome to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, and today I'm looking forward to a fascinating discussion with Vicki Larson and Susan P. gadois They are authors of the book, The New I Do. Reshaping Marriage for Skeptics, Realists and Rebels, which you can find online at newidobook.com. I hope I said that right? You guys can correct me if ha- you ladies can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to ask Vicky and Susan to introduce each other to you. So here we go.
3: Thank you so much. Um Virginia, this is Susan, and I'm going to introduce Vicki Larson. She's been an award winning journalist in the San Francisco Bay Area for more than 28 years, and she's my co author uh, of The New I Do Reshaping Marriage for Skeptics, Realists, and Rebels. Her writing can be found in The New York Times, The Guardian, Huffington Post, Your Tango, Red Book, and two anthologies, among other places, as well as her blog. OMG Chronicles, and she's also the proud mom of two young men.
4: Okay, thank you for that, Susan. And this is me, <laughs> and I will introduce um, Susan. Susan Pizgadwa is a best-selling author and speaker. She's a licensed therapist, an expert on marriage and divorce, and she has been working with individuals, couples, and families, as well as leading groups and workshops for nearly 25 years. She writes about marriage and divorce for psychologytoday.com, Huffington Post, Your Tango, and Divorce Magazine. Susan is married and has no children, and um, she is the co-author of the book, and my
2: friend. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Thank you. So how did the two of you uh, get together and get started on this project, writing this book?
3: This is Susan. And um, basically, Vicki and I had been both contributing to Huffington Post on the divorce page. And we said, since we live near each other, why don't we get together and, and maybe do something as a joint effort. And I had been, um, since I'm a therapist, I've been working with the divorcing population for a long time. And it's, in my opinion, over the years, a very shame-based model. People would come in and say to me, I feel like I'm a failure and I have failed. And I myself didn't get married until I was 43. And many of the years in my 20s and 30s, people would ask me what was wrong with me why wasn't I married and so Ouch. yeah and um so I've had the idea for a long time that I'd love to see how we hold marriage differently we make people wrong when in fact I think the institution needs to be tweaked and Vicky was absolutely 100% on board feeling the same way and um and we
5: just
2: began to collaborate on this that's great um do you want to add anything to that, Vicki?
5: Um,
2: uh,
4: well, Susan's experience of being um, ask, having people ask her what's wrong with her because she didn't get married is kind of different than mine because I got married very young, a few months before my 21st birthday. And, of course, that marriage didn't last very long. And then I got married again when I was about 31, and that marriage lasted for 14 years, but it ended in divorce. So I have two divorces, so therefore my experience with people was like, what's wrong with you? You have two failed marriages. You obviously don't know how to commit. Um, There must be something really very wrong with you. So we were judged, but judged differently from our experiences.
2: Well, I guess there must be something wrong with each one of us because (laughs) I've been divorced too. (laughs) And have a lot Welcome to the crowd. In fact, <laughs> I I think the statistics are still hovering a little below fifty percent. That's the divorce rate for f- first marriages.
4: Exactly. That is yeah. true. And actually, for the um, for people over fifty, that is the largest growing um, divorce rate, and that is cl- closer to fifty percent.
2: Hmm. Yes, the baby boomer generation. (laughs) (laughs) They're breaking out. (laughs) Okay, so um, I had an interesting conversation on June 23rd, 2015 with Stephanie Kuntz about love, marriage, history, and politics. How marriage fits into a culture and a country and then gets redefined as the culture and the country evolve. And from my conversation with her, I would have to conclude that at this point uh, in this century in the United States and Western Europe, we're taking the next step. We're evolving. The definition of marriage is changing, and that's what your book is about, right?
3: Absolutely. Um, marriage, people are, the millennials in particular, are rejecting the old paradigm, and and as Stephanie said in her program with you, we call it traditional marriage, but it's really a relatively new model um, where you find one person and marry them until death do you part. So that model is quickly becoming outdated, and we don't really have anything until our book is, is putting out there what's going on behind closed doors. We don't have another paradigm to replace this belief with. And, and, um, you know, and,
4: and we love Stephanie Koontz. We have referred a lot to her books in, in our book for her exhaustive, um, history of how marriage has changed and, um, continues to change. And we, you know, she talks about how love kind of made the whole institution unstable. And our book is asking people to say, it's fine to have love in one of your reasons for marrying, it probably should not be the number one reason. And interestingly, um, with the passage, uh, uh, with, with the Um, Supreme Court's decision last Friday to allow same-sex couples to marry across the United States. A recent survey that came out indicated that the number one reason that same-sex couples wanted to get married was for the financial um, protections, the financial and legal protections, whereas for different sex couples, the number one reason to get married is for love. So the same-sex couples really understand what marriage is about. It, It protects you, and that's really important.
2: Okay. Tell me more about how marriage protects people.
3: Well, there are laws in place that... Um, when it, it really people don't know what the protections are until they go to get divorced while you're married, you actually, um, you know, you certainly have obligations to each other, but it is really when you're divorcing and you're going to share custody of your children and split assets that really makes the biggest difference between those who are married and those who are not. In fact, I have a woman in my practice right now who never married her uh, you know, live-in boyfriend. But they have two children together, and she will certainly get child custody, but she's not entitled to spousal support. And she's really suffering as a result. I mean, it's a very scary time for her. Divorce is certainly scary, but this adds a layer.
2: So uh, I gather she was the stay-at-home parent? Exactly, uh, yes. Uh, and yet, exactly. yeah, she has no right to spousal support because she was never a spouse. That's right and if they didn't buy their house together and put both names on the title mm-hmm. she might be in trouble there too. That's exactly right. Yeah. There's mm. retirement benefits she wouldn't get. I
3: mean there are a lot of things. There are certainly tax laws that tend to favor married couples and there are other financial advantages, but certainly it's really in the in the breakup
6: And I personally experienced that when I got divorced the second time, I had two children that time, Um, unlike my first marriage in which we had no property or children, but no one really was interested in who loved who more or, or who worked harder at the relationship. Basically, it was, how are you going to divide your house, how are you going to divide your stuff, and how are you going to divide the kids, what are you going to do with the kids? And um, so the state has a brain up for you already, and it tells you what will happen, um, and it's not based on love or anything else other than the practical, nitty-gritty financial reasons.
2: I see. It's the business relationship. <laughs> One other thing that maybe makes sense to mention here is that in addition to the financial advantages and protections that sometimes come with marriage, there are participation in illness and participation in end-of-life decisions, rights that depend on being married. And that's another one of the reasons. Nancy Mezzi mentioned this when she and I were doing an interview about LGBT marriages, that that's also a factor for gays and yes,
6: and actually... Part of the reason that, um, the whole push toward marriage happened occurred during the AIDS crisis when people could not participate sometimes in the end of life and medical decisions of their longtime partners. That's when it really began to hit the LGBT community that we're, we're really on the outs here and that was scary. Um, And so that was the beginning of the big push for same-sex recognition, uh, same-sex marriage.
2: So we've watched or we've read about or we've personally witnessed uh, a significant evolution in people's expectations about what marriage would involve and how long marriage would last. In the 1940s, 1950s, maybe the definition of a successful marriage was a marriage that lasted until one partner died. What can we use for a definition of success now?
3: Well, one of the things that Vicki and I talk about in the New I Do is that we really feel that it is, it should be up to the couple to determine what is. A successful marriage to them, not up to anyone else. So, we're very strong believers in the fact that uh, marriage should be an individual decision and contract. And that's we're trying to get away from the one size fits all model. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know,
6: so I am now middle aged and I have two children. If I got married now, My definition of a successful marriage is going to look very, very different than my sons, who are in their 20s and would like eventually to start a family. So um, what would be a successful marriage for me would be a companionship model. They would be looking for someone with whom to raise children with. So um, different definitions of what is success
3: and how long that that marriage would be.
6: Because and actually I, that's one of
3: the things that we outline in the book is all the different marriages that are actually going on. We were surprised to see what was happening behind closed doors with how people were tweaking the institution.
2: Yeah, I've been surprised by that sometimes in when I'm mediating divorces, I uh-huh. discover that um you know for the last 8 years both partners thought agreed that it was fine to have sexual relationships with people outside the marriage as long as you treated the marital relationship as your most important one and
3: I would actually point to the recession for many of the changes that we're seeing recently such as the one where people we call it a parenting marriage where people stay together to be co-parents for the children, but they do have relationships outside the marriage, or they don't have to, but they can agree to do that. We see living apart together marriages much more than we did before the recession. One person would get a job in uh, Oregon, the other one would get one in New York, and they had to live separately. Now it's being it's it's happening more by choice. And then, of course, open marriage, which has been around forever, um, is something that People seem to be exploring more.
2: Yeah, maybe they're just being more open about it. As you say, um there's a long, long, long history, at least for men, of having extramarital affairs. And I think uh in many places women also.
3: Absolutely. Yeah.
6: And and millennials who are growing up in a very different time than than me. I'm a boomer. Um they have different expectations and thoughts about uh, monogamy. They're much more open to um, exploring monogamish relationships term um, coined by uh, sex columnist Dan Savage. And I, think I, I think we. I think we need a more...
2: definition. Did you just say monogamish?
6: Monogamish, yes. Um, What's it mean? That is, <laughs> that, is um, that is when you do. You have a committed partner, but you, each or one, whichever, right, that's a decision between the couple, um, have extramarital slings from time to time, but you stay committed and in this one major partnership. So, it's different than some... It's more sexual as opposed to something like being polyamorous, um, which is... More than just sexual, it's actually for, forging deep, emotional, intimate relationships with other people.
3: Um, and I think the biggest so. distinction is that it's it's both people are consenting to this arrangement,
2: right? Yeah, that's a, that's a big difference. Uh, Although I suppose historically there were cases in which both partners consented to having affairs on the side and just maintaining their marriage for political and economic purposes. Uh, that, but, yeah, right. exactly. Seems that to was be...
3: probably prior to love coming into the picture because right yes. now we think that this one person is supposed to meet every single one of our needs. And as Stephanie Coons talks about, we've raised the bar so high that it's nearly impossible to meet every need, and yet we make people wrong when they can't do it. Right.
6: Right. Well, And, and as, Dan, as Dan Savage says, what do you want? Do you want a long term last um lasting intimate committed partnership with someone um or do you want to um uh, and 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 if you want that if that's the priority or do you want to have sexual fidelity which is which is more important to you um so that if if you have that long time commitment but you allow each other to and get sexual needs met from time to time elsewhere. You're getting both, actually.
2: Mm-hmm. Alright, we're going to go to break now, and we'll come back and talk some more about what, what it means for a marriage to be successful, and the different goals and different definitions that various cohorts are working with. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's APFMNET.org.
0: Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S.
5: Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Colin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99.
1: You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Doctor Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to Radio Show at Colin Family Now, back to Family Matters.
2: Welcome back to Family Matters. Vicki Larson and Susan Pease-Gadois, authors of The New I Do, Reshaping Marriage for Skeptics, Realists, and Rebels, are talking with me today, I'm Virginia Collin, about how marriages are changing in the United States and I think also in Western Europe and perhaps elsewhere around the world uh, as we are launched into this new century. So let's see. Does it make sense to ask um, whether this whether there are age cohorts where the, whether there's you know, if you take break people into 20 year segments and watch it go down the line? Does do the do the goals for marriage change along those lines or is it much more blurred than that?
3: I think that's a wonderful question. I'm very glad that you asked it. Vicki and I did a talk recently where a woman shared with us that she feels like she's had 10 different marriages based on where they've been in their lifetime, and we have broken down in our book different age groups that people who are 18 to 24 are the young love crowd, and they're looking, you know, sex is more important to that crowd, being in love, madly in love, the 25 to 35 might be looking more at someone's career potential and building their career and financial well-being, 36 to 50, um, good parent, good co-parent, um, and possibly settling into homemaking, and then 51 to 80, you're just probably looking for a good companion and you know it's nice if you still like each other and then 81 to however long you live you're just happy to be alive so <laughs> <laughs>
6: and and the interesting thing is that um uh, Margaret Mead the anthropologist back in the 60s or 70s said and she was a feminist uh said that women really need free marriages and, and she did have free marriages um One, for young love and sex and passion. Two, to raise children with. And three, for companionship. And there makes some sense to that. If you are looking to have sex and passion, you're probably going to choose a different partner than someone you want to settle down with and raise family with. If you're looking to have children, you actually want to marry someone who's going to be a really great co-parent. That should be the focus, not a soulmate. And um, so that really makes sense to us. And we do talk about that in some of the the marriage models that we have. And, and there were there's seven marital models that we uncovered. Um, they are already out there. We did not make these up. And um, this is how people are kind of tweaking their marriage based on their needs in their in their lifespan
2: that sounds like fun a list of seven different kinds of marriages that are already out there tell me about them
3: okay um the first marriage is called a starter marriage and the this is actually a, a, not a legal option there's only one that we cover that's actually a legal option in some of the states um, but a starter marriage the concept is basically to have a time limited marriage so that you can try it on and again we emphasize that there is a difference between being married and living with someone. It's a big difference. And so we're saying we should be able to try marriage on. Don't bring kids into the mix. It's obviously for people who've never been married before. Um, And it's a way to explore that option of of marriage. And we think that makes a lot of sense.
2: Um, I'm going to take a step. Let's take a step backwards because you said that being married is a lot different from living together without being married. How is it different?
3: Nikki, do you want to cover that?
6: Yeah, I do. Well, first of all, as we've already talked about, um, there aren't the legal and financial protections and perks. So that's that practical matter, right, in that if you happen to move into your boyfriend's house and then the partnership dissolves, You've 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 lost a home, <laughs> you've lost even some of the things that you may have bought together. You don't have a, you have no rights unless you create a cohabiting an agreement, um, which I would strongly urge anybody living together. But beyond that, the bigger thing is that society doesn't look at people who live together as as a real partnership. It could dissolve it uh. in which is Which is really a false concept, because a marriage could dissolve at any time too, but it it could. We just don't understand it. Um, we understand what a wife and what a husband are and do, even if it's gendered. But when people are living together. We don't really well, you know, we don't understand. Well, are you guys going to get married? You know, are you just saving um money so society doesn't view it that way? And then the people themselves don't necessarily not always. There's a certain percentage of couples who actually do see living together as a commitment. They just don't want to sign the papers. But um a lot of people move in together to they have different expectations of where that partnership is going, if it's going anywhere at all. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I was wondering whether people treat each other differently if they've been living together for a year or two or three, and then they marry. Does their do their feelings and does their behavior toward each other change much?
3: Oh, uh, I've got you know, lots of stories around that where people say, "The minute we got married, he or she stopped trying, stopped working Ooh. on the relationship."
2: Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah. And,
3: and, and there have been studies
6: where um, um, some, some women going into living together situations, they do have an expectation that they will get married, and that doesn't always work out because the guy doesn't have a similar expectation.
2: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay, thank you for that clarification. Let's Mm -hmm. get back to our list of seven kinds of marriages that you have observed in your research. We got as far as the starter marriage with uh, no kids and just trying it out to see how it feels and maybe it's time limited. What else?
3: Well, there's a companionship marriage where it's less of that romantic ideal and more about having someone to grow old with, perhaps someone you share interests with and travel with. And that's actually, since I got married at 43 for the first time and my husband was 45, neither of us had children, we weren't going to start a family and we didn't have kids. So it wasn't about family beyond just he and I. And we just are good friends and and, you know, it doesn't mean there's no sexual relationship. And I say that because people often ask that. But it just means that, again, the off-the-charts romantic love is not the number one reason to get married. Um, okay. Another option that I referenced earlier is the parenting marriage, where, you know, as we say, it's truly planned parenthood, where you're, you're planning to have children together, and you pick someone that is a good co-parent, One of the ways that my practice has changed so much in the recent years is that I'm finding that I am helping couples who are considering divorce change the terms of their marriage to be co-parents only and create the parenting marriage, which has been an interesting process. Mm -hmm.
6: And then um, another uh, model is uh, the living alone together, which, which we referenced before, where the couples don't um, necessarily live together. They might live next door to each other, as Frida Kahlo did um, and Diego Rivera, or they might live across the town or across the country. Um, it's, this is for couples who really value their independence or for couples who maybe are um, uh, for career situations. They need to be in a certain place um, and then they spend time together you know, every other week or whatever, whatever works for them, and that seems to fit a certain type of personality who want freedom and commitment.
2: I see. So these are people who are legally married to each other but may live apart from each other a high percentage of the time. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's correct. Okay. What else have we got?
3: Well... Uh, there's a covenant marriage, and this is the one that is the legal option in Arkansas, Arizona, and Louisiana. It was created in Louisiana, and it's, it was created by the religious right that wanted to prevent divorce. And so instead of, you know, the usual saying, I do, this is as if you're saying, I really, really, really do. And it's, it's a marriage that's harder to get into, <clears throat> and it's a marriage that's harder to get out of, You have to do counseling before and after. You have to have um, a a very drastic reason to want to get out of the marriage, such as abuse, addiction, criminal behavior, abandonment, some of those extreme cases. And um, you have to answer to a community. You don't just talk to your spouse about wanting out. You have to really talk to a a larger community. So uh, the, the people that tend to go into Covenant marriage do tend to be the one that the couples who want to marry until death do you part, whereas I think mainstream couples have a little bit more ambivalence or uncertainty about that. Mm
2: -hmm. In states that offer this covenant marriage relationship, are there also ordinary marriages of all the other kinds? Yes. In fact, covenant marriage...
3: I don't even think it it accounts for 1% of the marriages in these states. People that we talked to in these areas hadn't even heard about it, and one of the attorneys um, that we spoke with told us that people just don't even know it's out there. Generally speaking, people learn about covenant marriage through their pastor or their minister, not from Mm -hmm. the court. But you do have to ask for a separate packet of papers and it's a very it, it's an additional hoop to jump through all right that, 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 that
6: makes
2: five. Oh, go ahead uh,
6: okay then the next is a <clears throat> safety marriage which um is an arrangement that works often um a financial one i'll take care of you you take care of me um a lot of people don't like that. They'll see someone like a Hugh Hefner and Crystal Harris get married, and they'll say, well, that's not a real marriage. The thing is, they're both very open and transparent about why they're going into that marriage. They know what they're doing. Um, He's taking care of her financially. She's taking care of him for his needs. And from the research that we've uncovered, and that others have done, when you have matched expectations, you have a happy marriage. And so um, this is a marriage of um, where you really are helping each other and you are agreeing to the terms of what that help is going to be and how long it's going to be. Is okay. it financial, but is it isn't just financial. Okay.
3: Okay, and um, the final type of marriage is an open marriage, which, as we've said, is basically saying, why can't people, if it works for them, why can't they have an open marriage, and why have we never questioned monogamy, and I say never, again, this is since the love-based marriage came into the picture, Um, we just don't even question, it's an assumed part of our one-size-fits-all model and we really ask people to have conversations about whether that's a good fit for them. Because the the rate of infidelity, some studies show that it's as high as 70%, um, some as little as 30 but it's all self-reported, and so we really will never, probably ever know. Infidelity, the the most hurtful part about that is the lies. And, um, you know, people sneaking around and, you know, just having a separate life, I've had people say, God, I don't, did we even have anything that I thought we had? It's, it's devastating to know that you've been lied to. So this actually takes away that piece of the lies and deceit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And,
6: and, and also, we are right now on our uh, website, we're having a very active thread of comments from people who are in sexless marriages. Now, we hear a lot about that in the media, like how often do you have to have sex, right, to be a sexless marriage. It really doesn't make a difference to these people. For them, one of the couple is not getting his or her sexual needs met, and it's extremely frustrating. And for them, they have three choices. Suffer, cheat, and a lot of them don't want to cheat, or... Um, or divorce. And this is actually a fourth option. If you have different sexual needs, then it's probably a good time to have a discussion about how can we get the sexual needs met so that we're both happy and we can both stay connected. And, and, and opening up a marriage is uh, one of those ways. And the couples we spoke to who did it felt that they had done something brave. It was scary. They had to address their own fears and jealousies. Um, But they learned from it, and then for the people who decided, let's go back to monogamy, they were making a very conscious choice Mm -hmm. to choose monogamy. Mm -hmm. And that's what most of us really don't do. We just don't mm-hmm. question. And it's a, it's a really important question that we need to ask ourselves and our partners. What if someone gets ill or disabled? What are we going to do?
2: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, what we're going to do right now is have another break. I'll be back in a couple of minutes talking with Vicki Larson and Susan P.'s gadois about marriages and how they're changing. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's APFMNET.org.
0: Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S.
5: Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Colin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99.
1: You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at com. Now, back to Family Matters.
2: Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm Virginia Collin. I'm talking today with Vicki Larson and Susan P. gadois authors of a book, The New I Do, Reshaping Marriage for Skeptics, Realists, and Rebels. We've been talking about how radically marriage has changed in the past three or four centuries since people got this crazy notion that marriage should be based on love rather than being based on what it was going to do for the extended family, and how it was going to fit into the community. Now that, well, as we were, we were talking with each other during the break, that people don't even have to get married anymore. Once upon a time, it was just assumed everybody's going to get married and have children. That's the way life goes. We don't have that assumption anymore. It's um, much more acceptable than it used to be just to live your whole life single, and it's certainly possible now for many women as well as men to be financially self-sufficient and independent. So we've got a huge variety of kinds of marriages that are popping up or evolving. And I would like to hear from Susan and Vicki, your thoughts about what are good ways for people to plan their marriages.
3: What, it was what very was- interesting when we were doing the research for our book that we, we had each couple that we talked to do a questionnaire and we asked some pretty simple questions such as, why are you getting married? And um, the, we asked them not to share their answers with each other until we all got together. And what was so funny to watch was that their... Answers surprised the other person. Why are you getting married? What do you expect out of marriage? I mean, these are things that we would hope that couples would talk about prior to making their union legal. And most couples, we found, aren't doing that in, in our Western culture. Um, other cultures around the world, they have clearer parameters about what the marriage is about. So I thought that that was very surprising and interesting. So couples yeah, talk about why they're getting married and what they want from it.
6: It was funny because one of the newlyweds, the man said, among the many reasons that he, they were listing, he said sex. And when he read it out loud, she said, Do you want to get married for sex? And, and he, like, all of a sudden got a sheepish look on his face and said, Well, that's among the reasons, yes, they asked us to list all. So... um Sex, chores, kids, finances, these are the things that couples fight over. We know that. Um, Those are the biggies. So it's really important to have those honest conversations. I spoke to two divorce attorneys, one here in the San Francisco Bay Area, Mark Risa, and one in Minneapolis, Michael Bullett both who are firm believers in this kind of planning, they're divorce attorneys, so they're seeing people on the ugly, unhappy side. And what, they're, what they agree with us is that couples don't really articulate in a meaningful way what their expectations are for their marriage. What do they want to see happen in the first three to five years? Are they on the same page about having kids? What about intimacy issues, and what are those expectations? And by sitting down and creating a marital plan, they're creating a roadmap for their future, and then they can check back maybe every year or every other year and go, how are we doing? Has something changed? Has someone lost a job? Has someone want to go back to school? And how are we going to adjust to that? Rather than, you know, not talk about it, argue about it, and then at some point, Say, but this isn't what I wanted, this isn't what I expected. Um, so, this really forces couples to have meaningful conversations and to write it down. To write it down, that's so important. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, one of the things that family mediators help with sometimes is people creating prenuptial agreements. Um, mm-hmm. About that certainly at least will cover their financial agreements if they get married. But it sounds like you're talking about something that goes beyond that, something that talks about what their expectations are about having children and what their roles will be.
3: Absolutely. You know, we do have a, a whole chapter on the importance of a prenuptial agreement and some of the misconceptions and reasons why people are afraid of prenups. But we... We know that every state has its own laws, and so you're going to be subject to those laws, which is basically a a default prenup. So we say you should definitely have your own to cover the legal aspects of the relationship. But absolutely, you know, the biggest place where people trip up is on the small things, on those day-to-day expectations, couples where... The the man loses his job and doesn't go back to work right away. And I had a woman who was a doctor, and she was so angry that her husband sort of flipped into a stay-at-home dad. But that's not at all. She was in one of my divorce groups. She was divorcing him because of it. Um, It's not what she had wanted or expected. And certainly life throws curveballs, which is why we're saying you need to keep the dialogue going. Don't just have it once at the beginning of the relationship and never again. Um, but things happen, people change, circumstances change, and if you're not having good dialogue about what it is you need and want from yourself and from the other person, it's, it's bound to fall apart on some level.
6: Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and
3: just, just to reiterate what
6: um, I said before, from the research out there, when couples have matched expectations, they have a happier marriage and what Susan and I firmly believe in is that we don't need more marriages we need more happy marriages and successful marriages but the couples themselves have to determine what will make their marriage successful it's basically individualizing their marriage so that it's not the same as anybody else's it's for what they want And, you know, why not have more happy marriages that way?
2: I'm in favor of more happy marriages.
6: (laughs) Yeah, more happy (laughs)
3: marriages.
2: (laughs) All right. Well... Clearly, um, the various states or in Canada provinces, uh, in Europe, I don't know what, um, clearly governments are involved in the terms of marriages and divorces. As you say, there's kind of a default prenuptial agreement. If you don't write your own, the states got one. And if you get married in Connecticut and get divorced in Texas, you might have a different default prenuptial agreement Good point. than the one you thought you had. Um, so, the state is there. It's going to be involved. It's now going to recognize gay marriages. I don't think it's going to recognize polyamorous marriages anytime soon. What about religious communities? What about churches and mosques and temples? Um once upon a time, it seems as if most marriages had a religious component. What's happening with that now?
6: Well, we're becoming less and less a religious country, except in certain areas of the country, um, the South, certainly, and the Midwest. Um, and so um, there's, there's that. Um, but there, there are studies that... That uh, say that you know couples who attend um, you know, churches or synagogues together or mosques are um, happy. You know they have they find that a fulfilling part of their marriage. And if that matters to a couple, then then that is something that should be stated and agreed to um, from the beginning. But overall, we are becoming. I'm um, less and less a religious country. At least that's the trends that I've been noticing.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: That... I also have found that in speaking with uh, pastors and people who are religious professionals, that they seem to have more of an open mind on <clears throat> various configurations of marriage as well, and certainly that it is not a lifelong commitment so much anymore.
2: That's okay with pastors now?
3: Well, I mean, I only spoke with a handful in doing the research, but that was my experience. So it's certainly not a um, a hard statistic, but um, more anecdotal. Okay. And and just recently, even the Pope, the Pope said
6: um, there's a time sometimes where a divorce is okay. Okay. that's pretty huge coming from the Pope.
2: That is huge. I did not know that the Pope said that.
6: Yeah, let's see. Um, he said, um, I will find it here, that sometimes divorce is morally
2: necessary. Wow. That is huge. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got a few minutes left, and I have a little list of things that we might talk about if we felt like it. Things like Dwindling marriage rates, or millennials delaying their marriages, or gray divorces. Um, I think we've covered marriage contracts a little bit, and we could say maybe more about the implications of gay marriages for heterosexual marriages. What would well, the two of the you, that you like just to talk made about?
3: Really speaks to how people are tending to reject marriage as we currently know it again we call it traditional marriage but it's really a newer concept people are rejecting it in big numbers that are getting attention um from the sociologists out there and we Vicky and I really feel that unless we change marriage we change the the paradigm people are going to continue to reject it. And we don't want that to happen because we feel that marriage does provide some really important protections that people are not aware of. I think if we see the pendulum swing the other way to people rejecting it, we're going to have a lot of people like the woman I shared about who are dealing with not having the protections yet having two kids in tow. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, I have to interject here. I'm very sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm
6: on a... Catholic website, the Pope did not say divorce. He said separation can become morally necessary. And there's a difference between separation uh, and divorce. Yeah, there was is a big difference. In, yes, he was talking in cases of um, violence and exploitation and humiliation. So I needed to just make that correction.
2: Okay, that's an important correction. That <laughs> that is an important important correction, so. correction. Because, yes. Um, being separated, but not allowed to marry anybody else for the rest of your life, is a lot different from being divorced.
3: Yes, indeed. Yes.
2: Okay. Um, remind me, please. What's your website? Where where can people find you?
3: We have a website that's thenewidoobook dot and we also have a Facebook page. And Vicky has been amazing at posting really interesting and time-worthy articles on how marriage is changing and it just never ceases to blow my mind how much and how quickly things are changing out there so please come find us on Facebook as well and on Twitter we have a the new i do new i do Twitter account
6: and Excellent. our book is in bookstores and it's also online on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles and other um, online bookstore outlets. And okay. um, we just really want people to couple consciously. Um, that's really important. And you may they may not be interested in one of those models, but if it sparks a discussion, um, we feel like We've we've done our job.
2: Okay, so I'll just remind people that the full title of the book is "The New I Do: Reshaping Marriage for Skeptics, Realists, and Rebels." And I want to thank you very much for being on the show today, Vicky Larson and Susan P. Gadwa.
1: Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow.